Let's go to the movies, an award season podcast. Welcome to season four, episode five. On today's episode, I will be discussing Empire of Light and Tar. First on today's episode is Empire of Light. This is directed by Sam Mendes. And interestingly, it has a Rotten Tomato score of only 44%. had a higher audience score, though, which I always find interesting. Uh, But the plot of this movie is that it's about a woman who's working at a cinema in the 80s in England, like kind of like the south coast of England. She's learning to regain the joy in her life after being previously diagnosed with schizophrenia. So Sam Mendes, his most recent work was in 2019. He did 1917. Prior to that, he did the Lemon Trilogy, Spectre, King Lear, Skyfall, Away We Go, Revolutionary Road, and Jarhead, to name a few. So this movie was announced in April 2021. It was announced that Mendez was going to be writing and directing a new film. That was kind of all that they knew at the time. Olivia Coleman and Michael Ward were cast in July. And then filming began February 2022, wrapping in May of that year. This film premiered at the Telluride Film Festival on September 3rd, 2022. had a limited theatrical release on December 9th of the same year. Um, And it is currently still showing in a few theaters. I saw it at an art house cinema, but it was showing at one of the Regals near me as well. So if you did want to catch it, it is still available in a few places. So if you saw 1917, or you maybe heard my episode about it, you would know that this, or that movie, I should say, was a story about his grandfather's time during World War I. And so I read that this film, Empire of Light, is actually said to be rooted in his own childhood. It's kind of a reflection of a time when Mendez was finding out his calling through cinema in the 80s. So he wrote this during the pandemic, when everyone was kind of worried about the future of the theater and the cinema viewing experience. And Olivia Coleman's character is said to be based loosely on his own mother. So I read all of that in an ABC7 New York article. And I thought that was super interesting. Kind of feels like this trend with a lot of directors recently where they're doing a lot of work that's really close to their storylines of their lives or their families. And I just think that's kind of cool. Like you're getting a glimpse of like who these people are and what made them who they are. So me and my friend saw this. We went into it thinking it was just a love story set at a movie theater. (laughs) That's all we knew about it because the trailer was really vague and that's all it made it seem like it was. We were surprised, though, that it was actually much more than that. (laughs) Uh, I was pleasantly surprised. I did enjoy it. You're immediately in this film put into the setting of the Empire Theater, which automatically brings on this feeling of nostalgia for this old way of seeing movies and they don't immediately spell out or provide any exposition about Hillary Olivia Coleman's character it's slowly unraveled that she lives alone works at this theater checks in with a doctor on a regular basis you're not sure why just yet you find out she's having an affair with the manager of the theater or yes he's the owner but it doesn't feel very healthy it feels very like emotionally manipulative She just doesn't really appear happy at all. She's just kind of like humdrumming day to day. You eventually learn that she was recently diagnosed with schizophrenia and she's taking lithium 
for it. And that is likely contributing to why she feels like this. I think Olivia Coleman paints this story really well. Like she does really seem just really somber, really lonely, like trying to be present, but it's just hard for her. And this way of her character sticks out even more once you get to like a, some of the later scenes and then you can kind of recall back to this place that she was in. It's excellent. So that brings in the next character played by Michael Ward, Stephen. He starts working at the theater and you slowly start seeing her open up, becoming a little happier, looking forward to coming to work a little bit more. And this is when the story kind of moves slowly into the love story thing that we were expecting. (laughs) But even then, it doesn't feel like a full-fledged love story. It feels more of like a story of how these two people were brought together. And they're learning more about who they are and what makes them thrive by being with each other. And Hillary really just does come alive being with Stephen, and you can see it. And it's even more apparent that this is the case because she promptly falls apart when he doesn't want to be with her outside of work. And I don't think it's supposed to be like she falls apart because a guy dumped her kind of thing. I think it's just supposed to be like she's falling apart because this thing that brought her happiness and joy and a reason to leave her apartment is suddenly like not wanting to be around her. And I think it just kind of throws her off and she kind of loses it. But these scenes of her losing it where she's unhinged are excellent. (laughs) There's one scene in particular that sticks out to me with Olivia Coleman here. It's, she's kind of like been holed up in her apartment for a few days. Stephen comes over to check on her. She's just going off. She's just standing there. There's like a lamp with no shade, just the light bulb sitting on the table. And the scene is shot up towards her. So the lamp light is hitting her face in this kind of haunting way. She's clutching a wine glass, just like with a very firm grip. Wine's sloshing everywhere as she's talking about, like, her mother and growing up. And it was excellent. Um, so that scene is probably, like, my, my standout scene for her, for sure. Her costuming at the movie premiere was also subtle. It was something that we were picking up on as the scene kept going on. She had disheveled hair, lipstick on her teeth. And then we noticed there was, like, an unbuttoned part on the back of her dress so there's these very subtle ways to show that she was trying to put herself together after being holed up in the apartment for several days but it just wasn't quite right so we applauded the costume department heavily for that scene so there was also a lot of undertones in the movie regarding racism and mental illness and those are really striking it was interesting to see how prominent it was during that time and how it was going on in the country at that time versus what we know in our own country of how those things played out. And so that was kind of like, I guess, like the sad element too. It was like these two people dealing with these two things, didn't really know how to talk about it with people, felt kind of like outcasts around people. So that added kind of this sad element to it for sure like trying to figure out who they are, how to thrive as who they are, all the while dealing with these things that society does not find acceptable. Towards the end of the movie, there's a scene where there's all these skinheads and they're kind of riding by on motorcycles and kind of like motorbikes. And it's kind of like a riot forming. 
and they break into the theater. And it was very awful, and I felt like it kind of escalated. I didn't really expect anything like that in this movie. But it really drove those tensions home because Stephen gets beat up very badly just for being there and being a black man. And it was just very sad, and it was like, I think maybe a way for Hillary to finally see like how severely he is treated in the world. It was one of those things though where like I wasn't super familiar with English history, so I didn't know for sure like what was going on, like why were these people here, who were they? So my friend kind of elaborated for me some. And he was saying that basically like there was this influx of immigrants and stuff into the country around this time and it kind of created this subsect of these skinhead people who were trying to, you know, like, rid the country of people who didn't belong there, and thus what was portrayed in the film here. Um, it reminded me of when I saw Belfast, and I wasn't too familiar with that conflict, so it was a little hard to empathize with the conflict going on, but I appreciated that they added that level of reality to it, and also, again, to kind of just highlight how that racism was running through the country at this time. There was also this undertone of, of film in the movie being a healing escape, but that kind of felt a little lost to me. I didn't really feel like I started picking up on that theme until the end of the movie. You find out that Hillary never actually sits in any of the movies. She just sees it as kind of a business and like these customers coming in to watch the movies. Like, Stephen makes some little nods, like, why don't you just sneak in and go watch that? Or you haven't seen 9 to 5, it's playing at this theater kind of thing. So she finally goes and sees a film. She comes in and is like, play any film. And it seemed like it's being portrayed as a moment of catharsis. And I feel like it probably could have just driven this theme home a little harder if it had been a little more prevalent from the beginning, maybe. But I do love the idea of film kind of being this transcendent experience. I just think maybe it wasn't as strong as it could have been. I also think the idea of Mendez learning who he was at the theater really lined up, though. Like, if he saw film as this catharsis, I'm sure that that's what he experienced growing up and going to a theater. And, like, seeing these two people kind of grow and learn more about themselves and what they actually wanted out of life and, like, how to live a happy existence, that was really beautiful. The film name is obviously an allusion to the theater that this all takes place in, the Empire Cinema. But it also is, of course, referencing the light itself that I assume is related to the light that creates the motion picture, like the beam of light through the projector. There's, like, a whole... Uh, speech in the movie by the projectionist kind of about like shadows and the light eliminating those shadows and eliminating that darkness so there's a lot of metaphor and allegory between the light in a cinema the light in your life the literal light that was being used in the shots like there was a lot of lights and shadows in the cinematography that really was really lovely and really emphasized a lot of those scenes so I kind of like how you can take that aspect of the movie and break it down and interpret it to your viewpoint. If you did see this movie, how did you interpret the light? Anything maybe that I didn't touch on? 
Um, something that I just kind of stumbled upon, which I thought was interesting, was that there's also a title of a series of paintings by Rene Magritte, who I believe is a French artist. Um, and the paintings that he has done are nocturnal landscapes under sunlit skies. So there might be some symbolism there, you know, like the very literal film as art. Maybe even more related to the characters, like Hillary was kind of in this dark place and Stephen came in and brought this brightness to her life. That is just completely my theory. I haven't read anything about that connection. And I just stumbled upon that name of the artwork when I was Google searching some stuff about the movie. But I kind of like to think that it might be playing on that. And I think it's kind of beautiful if it is. Um, so the score in this film was done by none other than Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. They're back at it again. They already have done Bones and All this season as well. They have a very unique style, if you're familiar with them. Uh, it worked for this film, though. It had a lot of just kind of like tone, I guess. It wasn't very distinctive melodies, but it helped carry the scenes. Um, I am not always the biggest fan of them, but I do think it worked in this film. And then I think for the Oscars, the only two things jumping out at me might be Best Actress, Best Cinematography. Just Olivia Coleman is astounding always, and the cinematography was really well done. But I'm not really sure, apart from that, if it's going to be a big hitter. It was enjoyable, though. Um, again, it is still showing in a few theaters, and it is likely going to be on video on demand soon. I'm not sure where it's landing on streaming just yet. But that is Empire of Light. Next on today's episode is Tar. This was directed by Todd Field. It has a Rotten Tomatoes score of 90%, which felt very high to me after having watched it, but we'll get into that. So the plot of this film is that it is following an esteemed conductor as she's about to record a live performance of a renowned symphony, and accusations start plaguing her and her career, and she ultimately falls from grace. So Todd Field, he directed Little Children in 2006. That was his last feature. So that's a while since he had anything. In the Bedroom and then several shorts on top of those prior two features. He also, I was reading about him and it said he was like that guy you see in every movie in like the 90s, but you don't know actually who he is. He was just kind of one of those type of actors, which I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, but this movie was announced in April 2021. It was said that Todd Field had written the script for Kate Blanchett specifically in mind, and he said no other actor would do. He wrote it during the pandemic, and then Kate Blanchett started preparing for the role in fall of 2020. She was taking German lessons, piano lessons, and she was studying different conductors online. Um, they began filming it in August 2021 in Berlin. It was filmed at the Dresden Music Hall. The Dresden Philharmonic Orchestra is actually featured in the film and plays like the music and stuff, which is pretty solid. They got a chance to kind of be featured in that way. Um, and then the film actually wrapped in 65 days. And uh, all these facts, according to The Hollywood Reporter. 
It premiered at the Venice Film Festival on September 1st, 2022, had a limited theatrical release on October 7th, with a wide release on October 28th. It is already on demand. It dropped video on demand on November 15th. And I don't think it's available anywhere specific yet for streaming. I didn't notice it when I was looking into where to watch it and stuff. Um, so this is categorized as a psychological thriller, which is misleading, I think, because when I hear that, I think of something kind of creepy and twisty. And they're like kind of like a like an uncertain element to it, but I don't necessarily consider it being like a thriller. It is very, very like psychological and like intellectual. So don't let that mislead you if you are going into this expecting like an actual thriller. There were, like, as I was saying, like, very psychological aspects to it, but the moments that they did show were very subtle. Um, there were lots of just them sitting down having conversations. It was, like I said, just very intellectual. They don't spell anything out for you, though. Like, there's not a lot of exposition. It's kind of like you're just watching people discuss things. <laughs> So on that note, I would say that it's obviously going to be more character-driven. Not as much going on in regards to action. On that note, though, the camera shots were very interesting. There were very, like, long holds on characters. There was very little cutting between the characters when they were having these conversations. Like, it would just be, like, if Kate Blanchett was speaking, it would just be, like, the camera shot on her speaking the whole time. And you would hear the other person maybe responding or reacting, but you wouldn't cut to them to see that reaction, which is uncommon. And I think in a way, when movies kind of go against what your brain is conditioned to expect, that is kind of a psychological element in itself. It almost felt like some of the perspectives that they were showing were like suggesting that you were sitting there or standing there, like actually watching what was playing out like, if, as if you just walked up to a table, essentially, and were, like, watching someone have a conversation. So it had, like, a very static feel to it, too. Like, it wasn't a lot of movement in the cuts and in the editing. But that kind of added to the tone. Uh, it contributed to, you know, how the sets, the production design were built. Um, because the sets felt very cold. Kind of got, like, a sleek, kind of modern feel to them. Lots of stone stone walls, stone buildings, things like that. But I think it complemented the film style because I feel like if it had been very colorful and, you know, it wouldn't have made sense to have such static camera shots. Um, so that was, that was going to be one of the most obvious elements, of course, is the production design. So this film... Kind of, to me, it's like exploring the idea of cancel culture, but it's like not sensationalizing it. And it's also coming from the position of the supposed perpetrator. But at the same time, it's not giving the audience any actual info of like what really happened. So you're never really swayed on like whose side to take. Like in some uh, movies that deal with this subject matter you're shown a scene of what actually happened or you siding with the victim. So you're getting like all the information from them. 
So you're kind of able to villainize somebody in the story. And I don't think they did that very blatantly. So you're kind of left to interpret it on your own. And that, of course, is what makes this a little more complex than other films that kind of go with this subject matter. Uh, I think you're definitely given or you're left with also like more questions than you are answers. Because as I mentioned, you don't ever really get a firm answer on, on what actually happened. Like, did she actually abuse the or like emotionally manipulate and abuse the girl that used to be in her fellowship program? You don't you don't ever get a con, like a confirmation. Because the whole idea that they're kind of tackling is that Kate Blanchett's character, Lydia Tarr, this powerful music conductor, she abuses her power and authority on young females kind of in like a transactional way. Like, if you do this, I'll help you do that, etc. And even now, like, having seen it, what, two days ago, I still don't know for sure if she did it. Well, like, as it's claimed that she did, which... Again, makes this a very complex film. But Kate Blanchett plays it. She's got a very nuanced performance because her authority and her power doesn't feel like she's doing it to, to like to take advantage of people. Like you can convince yourself that she's good and you can just as easily convince yourself that she's not. So it's not very overt. And even, like, the storyline they are portraying of her with the cellist that's currently in her orchestra. If you're not paying close enough attention, you're kind of just almost brushing it off as not being anything. So I think it's a very interesting character choice to to write the role or to write the character of Lydia Tarr and then to kind of explore this subject. Because it was, like, also raising this question of, being such a massive talent and being a female, being LGBTQ community, like, how do you perceive that type of person? When does it become more about the art, less about the artist? It's, in, it's an interesting, it's a very interesting question. If you've seen it, what do you think? Did you tackle some of these same questions? So kind of tying back to some of the psychological elements. There was this element that kind of bled through the film of her being kind of watched. You never, as I mentioned, you're not going to get really many answers in this movie. So you're never given any kind of answers if someone was actually there kind of moving things around in her apartment or watching her. You don't ever get like a definitive, yes, look who it is, it's that person. Which leaves you to just feel kind of creeped out. Like, is she just kind of losing her mind or... Is this stuff really happening? The creepiest thing that happened in this movie to me, <laughs> she's comforting her daughter, who's like 9 or 10, like around that age, at night in, in her bedroom. And like the camera is looking over the shoulder. And then suddenly the daughter just like looks right up into the camera. And it was super spooky because then it tied kind of back to that idea of you're just kind of being dropped into the story watching this happen, and the daughter's kind of looking at you like, hello, get out of here. But then, like, Kate Blanchett's character reacts and, like, turns to the door, and no one's at the door. 
So, it, yeah, I thought that was really spooky. I almost kind of would have liked them to lean into that just a little more. Kind of add the spooky element to it, but not getting too carried away with it and turning it into a thriller. But, you know, maybe like kind of helping show how she was kind of losing her mind just a little bit because of all this. But, yeah, I thought that was a very, very spooky little scene. Um, but, yeah, there is no obvious resolution or explanation by the end of this movie. It just ends with her in a very low point in her career. She's, like, lost the ability to conduct the big symphony that was going to kind of put her back on the map. And she's, like, lost um, contact with her young daughter. Like, her partner won't let her see her. and. She's just kind of basically fallen off of this pedestal she was on. And it ends with her conducting for a concert in Asia, which you aren't sure, you know, you don't really know what the concert is. And then literally it pans out to the audience and it's like a cosplay concert. It's like one of those type of things where they're doing music set to a movie and everyone in the audience is dressed up. And then you're like, okay, so this is just her like literally, this is what's become of her is she's had to just take whatever jobs she can get at this point so you're basically like shown that she's kind of fallen fallen far but you never really told anything about it i do like movies that end with kind of a question mark so from that aspect i didn't dislike it um but i also like <laughs> When movies give you a little bit of closure. So if you do like films that give you actual closure, you probably won't enjoy this one. Um, small thing. The opening credits were tiny. So tiny. It was hard to see them on the screen. It kind of hurt my eyes. I don't really know what the reasoning for that was. Maybe because it's like not important to the story per se. But I don't know. That was just kind of strange to me. The orchestra scenes were top-notch. As someone who used to be in orchestras, like in school and stuff, it was cool to watch that portrayed well on camera because it's like one of my biggest pet peeves when people play instruments on TV and movies. And you can tell they're not really playing it because they're not moving their hands appropriately or like with the music or, you know. So this was actually really solid. And knowing that it was an actual orchestra just makes it all that much better. Uh, The composer overall, though the same composer that did the film Joker. So the music that is used when they're not in like the orchestra hall is very subtle, but it works because it kind of adds to that creepy, like not creepy exactly, but like that psychological creepiness. And yeah, I mean, it was definitely an interesting film. Uh, I would definitely consider this an intellectual film. You cannot go into this movie lightly. You cannot go into it and not really pay attention and it feels like one of those ones that you're going to think about for a while after you see it. And then maybe more things are going to pop into your head. Then you're like, oh, maybe that's what that meant. It's that kind of movie. I don't necessarily agree with it being a 90% movie. But I do think it is a solid film. So if you like Kate Blanchett especially, definitely give it a watch. For... The Oscars, there's a high chance it'll be nominated for Best Picture uh, and probably Best Director. Those sometimes usually will tie in hand in hand. Um, 
I also assume Best Actress, Kate Blanchett, has been receiving a lot of attention already in that category. And then Best Original Screenplay and Best Sound is going to be my other choice just because of the use of the orchestra and how they had to tie all that in with each other. I thought it was really well done. And that is Tar. So the next episode is going to actually be our Oscars nomination discussion. Those are coming out in three days as of the time I'm recording this. So that should be next. But I am also going to do a double drop and release another review episode pretty much shortly after that nominations episode. So that episode is going to be featuring Babylon and Everything Everywhere all at once. So if you listen to my in-between episode at the start of this season, you'll know that I did kind of talk briefly about everything everywhere. But since that's getting a lot of awards attention, I decided I wanted to rewatch it so I can give a fresh, full-length review on it. And my husband decided that he wanted to check that one out too. So he will actually be joining me on that episode to discuss that film. Another thing I wanted to note is that I have officially started a Letterboxd account. So if you are interested in star ratings of any of these films from my podcast or just other films that I've rated in general, you can definitely check that out. You can find me at Paula Ferg, F-E-R-G. I only have a few followers right now, so it shouldn't be hard to find me. (laughs) And then as I add episodes and different films, I'm going to kind of put those in lists corresponding so you can kind of keep track of that if you want to. And so moving forward, um, I'm going to give my Rotten Tomatoes score, but I think I'm also going to give the average star rating from Letterboxd just to kind of tie in with that linking of all these accounts of mine and such. So definitely check that out. A lot of things good coming up. So again, next episode will be Oscar nomination discussion, followed by a review episode featuring Babylon and everything everywhere all at once. Thank you for listening today and for joining me on yet another trip to the movies.